Hello and welcome to Decolonising DMU podcast. In this episode, I will be concentrating on how law is taught in higher education and efforts to make the subject inclusive, accessible and decolonised. Now, the law is a profession which employs high numbers of minority ethnic people. Equally, at an undergraduate level at universities such as De Montfort University, it can be a very diverse degree choice. Critiques of the law, however, find that it can be a subject that is impartial and benefits some more than others. Students studying law have also have their own opinions, perspectives and their own lived experiences, which they bring with them to their law degrees. So is it possible to be inclusive and representative of all the students on a law course? I'm joined by three different lecturers who've offered their opinions. Joining me now is Amanda Akhtar, who's a senior lecturer in law, and one of her main teaching areas is law and religion. It's a relatively new area of teaching at De Montfort University. So welcome, Amanda. I wouldn't have expected um, a law degree to feature religion. So can you tell me a bit more about that, please? Yeah, it seems strange in a way to think that it is a relatively new area of research and teaching. Um, There are still relatively few law schools that have law and religion modules. Our module itself is only a few years old. Um, But actually, there's always been quite a long, close association between law and religion. So many of the laws um, that we have today are historically influenced by religious ideas. Some of the earliest offences, things like murder and so on, have their origins in kind of religious ideas about right and wrong. Um, And the earliest courts in our legal system were effectively the churches. Does that mean then, as a consequence of, I guess, the influence of Christianity in this country on the law, that the law and law courses are, have perhaps sort of looked to ignore other religions, but have predominantly focused on, implicitly, on the Christian faith? I think that's certainly true and I think when we look at areas like discrimination for example when we start to think about how basic things that we take for granted like our working week most people in everyday professions like ours for example our normal working week is Monday to Friday so if we are of Christian background and we want to take Sunday as a day of rest it's generally not a problem unless we work in one of a you know a handful of professions whereas if we're perhaps from a a Jewish background a Muslim background um, a Seventh-day Adventist when we have a different day that is our normal day of rest or our normal day for for worship then we might encounter problems in trying to get time off for our um, our day of observance similarly with things like Easter and Christmas our bank holidays are often based around Christian festivals, whereas if we want to celebrate something else like Vasaki, Diwali, we're going to need to ask permission from our employers to get that time off and it might not necessarily be automatic. Do you think the law in this country has become more in- inclusive of different identities over the past sort of few decades? I think it definitely has and I think in many areas I think the law is trying to be more inclusive. So for example, Although we've had legislation dealing with things like gender discrimination and ethnic discrimination since the 60s or 70s in the case of gender, um, it wasn't until the turn of the last century really that we started to get rules in place dealing specifically with religious discrimination. So the law is becoming more conscious of these things. Um, Also since the UK introduced the Human Rights Act in 1998, um, which came into force in 2000 for most purposes, 
Since then, we've had a right to freedom of religion, which we can enforce in domestic courts in various different ways. And the right to freedom of religion is supposed to influence the way that other laws are interpreted and applied. So that, I think, helps to make lawmakers, judges, lawyers and so on more aware of the issues. But still, I think there are a lot of areas where we're kind of lagging behind. Tell me then about the type of student who chooses to study your modules? We have quite a a diverse range of students on the module, I would say. Um, Male as well as female students. Um, Some students choose the module because they perhaps have a particular interest in religion. Perhaps they have a particular faith background themselves and they're quite interested to explore how that might impact on law and vice versa. I think it's probably fair to say that most students who choose to study this module do choose it because they just genuinely have an interest in the subject. It's not the kind of subject that's obviously going to lead to a particular career in the way that maybe family law or commercial law might do. It's generally students who've got an interest, but quite diverse. Some students have a faith background, some don't. Some will say in seminars that they're agnostic and and just want to learn more and are, are interested in the issues. Talk me through the assessment design a little bit. Are students then able to articulate those perspectives whether they are religious or not religious uh, and bring that into the the assessment work and showcase their points of view it's always a challenge i think with law assessments generally not just for this particular module but allowing students to have that more kind of subjective perspective and to use their own individual voice more i think is more of a challenge because of the fact that ultimately we do need students to know what the legal rules are and to be able to directly identify how a particular legal problem is likely to be resolved by the courts, for example. So we have two pieces of coursework in this module. The first is problem-based, so students get a legal problem scenario and then they have to advise the clients in this hypothetical problem. And obviously we do expect students to be able to say this is the likely outcome based on the current law. But at the same time, we do try and encourage students to be more critical about the law. So although they might have to acknowledge that this is the way the case will be decided, we do want them to have an awareness that perhaps this case could have been decided differently. Perhaps we can criticise the way that a particular judge approached a particular issue or, or sometimes just the way that the law itself is designed. When it comes to the other piece of coursework, which tends to be more discussion-based, there is more scope for students to kind of find their own voice and use that more and and be perhaps more critical of certain aspects of the law. Perhaps a student from a particular religious background, say a Muslim student or a Jewish student, for example, might have more of an interest in commenting on how their religion is affected by a particular legal rule. But at the same time, we, we still kind of encourage them to have an element of objectivity and to be able to separate perhaps their own personal perspective from what the law actually says. That sounds fascinating. It sounds like there's ways that the students can critique the law um, and I guess argue on how it could be potentially improved. Um, So the students who take this module, presumably some of them go forward and and go go and work at the bar and, and stuff like that. What do you hope that they take away from your module and the learning that they've they've encapsulated from from here? I hope they just go away with the idea that the law isn't neutral, whether it comes to matters of law and religion or to other issues more generally we could apply similar arguments relating to gender or ethnicity or 
class, um, but just the general principle that the law isn't neutral. So, for example, uh, one of the things that we discuss is things like marriage laws. Um, We talk about how relatively easy it is for someone from an Anglican background to have a religious ceremony which will automatically if it's done properly be valid for legal purposes as well so if you're an Anglican and you want to get married according to your religion you can have a nice church wedding and as long as it's a standard um, Anglican ceremony that will automatically be legally binding as well whereas if you're from a different faith background it might not be so straightforward you might have to have a civil ceremony as well if you have people from two religious backgrounds, different religious backgrounds who want to marry, it could be even more complicated. Um, and the law currently isn't geared up towards being able to accommodate those those preferences and differences easily. So I would hope that when students go away from this module, they're more aware of issues like that. And those that do end up going into legal practice themselves, who've got a chance to have an impact on the you know the future development of the law perhaps the cases that they take on arguments that they might make I'd hope that they'd just be more aware of those issues. Thank you so much for your time Amanda thank you for joining me. Thank you my pleasure. Dr Conrad Nayam Utata is a senior lecturer in law. Thank you Conrad for joining me. Can you tell me a little bit about what you teach on the law degree at De Montford University? Thank you my uh, main module is uh international child law and uh, my other module is actually international humanitarian law the law of armed conflict but my main focus of teaching and research uh, is actually international child law so it sounds like your work is constructed around uh, vulnerable people especially children so why do you think it's important to embed different or wider perspectives from across the globe into your teaching and learning? Yes, uh, I mean, I think as uh, everyone uh, would recognise, uh, we now have a very diverse uh, student uh, population at our university and most universities. And that is uh, reflect, reflected, obviously, in the group or groups that I teach. I've got students, we've got uh, African backgrounds, Caribbean backgrounds, Asian backgrounds, as well as, uh, of course, British students. And uh, I think it's important uh, that uh, our education identifies with the students uh, that we teach so that they feel that uh, they are acknowledged and they are also recognized. And also to recognize that uh, there is also scholarship out there, which is uh, important to include in our teaching, which is uh, generated from uh, these places of origin of our students. If other lecturers are seeking to be inclusive, what advice would you give them? Well, I I think uh, this first step that I always talk about is uh, if you are a lecturer in uh, law, you have to accept that uh, law itself uh, is not uh, equal uh, in that uh, the production, the nature and the validity of knowledge is not a neutral uh, project. And uh, for that reason, uh, there is need uh, to recognize uh, other sources uh, of knowledge and be able to share that knowledge decolonization does not mean that we discard knowledge from the West. 
I think it is just a question of decentering knowledge so that we are inclusive of uh, knowledge from other parts of the world where people or students might ask, why is it that there is nothing within the study of law? Uh, is it that our people from where I come from did not contribute anything to the sum of knowledge. So I think it's important that our students are exposed, especially in the spirit of what we always preach to them, which is critical analysis. There's some really good advice there, Conrad. Why is it necessary, do you think, to be representative of different diverse students? Well, like I said earlier on, uh, I think students need to know that uh, their backgrounds, uh, their nationalities are at least recognized and so that actually students engage with the material that we teach. Because one of the difficulties in teaching law and I think in uh, many other you know, disciplines is engagement. Students very reticent about engaging. And I think when we start including literature, scholarship, that they can connect with, identify with, I think we will have more enthusiastic participation in our pedagogy. I think that's important that we ensure that our students are actually engaging actively with, with, with law. Conrad, you have alluded to the fact that law is not equal. Can your students express their views um, in their assessments when they are doing work on your modules? Oh, that's uh, a very important <clears throat> question because uh, this is something that I've always discussed with uh, students uh, that actually encourage their perspectives uh, and uh, try to ensure that they engage with it emotionally but in intellectual ways. So it is a core uh, expectation on our part uh, that students are actually critical, uh, but very welcome to bring in their perspectives. I think that makes for a very enriching environment for education. And so they can bring in their perspectives, but of course, in intellectual ways. Uh, we're not talking about people just being opinionated for the sake of it. They can support their arguments in intellectual ways and express themselves quite effectively that way. I'm joined by Zainab Nakvi, Senior Lecturer in Law. Zainab, can you tell me what modules you look after? Uh, thank you. It's great to be talking to you about this. I teach um, on the family law module for undergrads in the law school and I also teach on the gender and law module which is also for undergrads in the law school. Now I understand that you've modified assessments on the gender modules in particular and um, why did you do this? The module leader for gender and law Dr Kate Cross came up with this really innovative way of assessing the students. She decided with our kind of consultation and our participation to implement a system of assessment where students get to come up with their own idea to do a project which is related to one of the topics on the module so that they have the freedom 
to kind of think about what interests them on the module and pursue that and do an independent project, which we give them an opportunity to read a plan of what they want to do. And then when they submit the final project, then we're basically, in a sense, almost marking an, ind an individualized essay for each student. In addition to that, after they've completed their final project for the module, they have the opportunity to submit a reflective assignment. And throughout the module, they're given opportunities to reflect on the different topics that they're doing, as well as the experience of what they're learning in the module and the module experience and their learning experience. And at the end, they then submit this reflective assignment where they basically share how the module has been for them and as well as how they feel like their thinking and their learning has developed as a result. And the idea is to give students the kind of autonomy to do something which interests them and also to give them the opportunity to reflect and to just sit with their experience as well, which is something that there isn't a lot of space for usually in studies because they tend to be quite intensive. And we wanted to make sure that there was some kind of breathing room to actually stop and think about what the module was about, what they were learning and how it was affecting them as people, because we want to make sure that they are incorporating their own personal identities and experiences into their learning experiences as well, rather than having this separation between kind of the learning experience and then who you are as an individual. We felt like that there should be the space to kind of make sure that all of that was accounted for. So it's a more of a holistic perspective. It actually sounds like it's quite empowering for them as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does have the um, kind of capacity to be quite empowering as well. And when you see or kind of think about some of the different kind of submissions that we've had, because we don't just limit it to an essay. I mentioned earlier that we almost get an individualized essay. We also give them the opportunity to actually submit their assignment in a different format, like as a podcast or as kind of a discussion with somebody else where they're interviewing them about gender and law related issues. So it can be quite empowering in that sense. And it gives them the opportunity to try out different forms and formats of media as well as assessment. So that would fit under, you know, really good model of being quite fe flexible and adaptive, but also responsive to the learners needs and their interests and skills. So that sounds really, really important. Now, you kind of touched on this as you spoke. You kind of said that the students can now bring their, their sort of their lived realities to the assessment. Why do you think it's important to be inclusive of the students who study on, on the law degrees at DMU? Because it's their degree and the degree is for them and the assignments and the learning experiences are theirs. It makes absolutely no sense to have a kind of programme or a, you know, a degree of studies where the students are having to leave themselves at the door before they come into the room to learn. And then equally tied to that, and, I, and that law is a sort of a tricky area because obviously you're, you're primarily focusing on teaching the law of this country um, in the degree of preparing students for employment. But I understand within most law degrees that uh, also there's a place for perspectives from other parts of the world. Why do you think it's important to embed that kind of knowledge through the curriculum? So I think one of the important things to kind of remember is that English law is very much tied up with empire and the law that we have today has very much developed out of imperial and colonial administration so when we think about other perspectives or other places or other jurisdictions we are actually looking at 
legal frameworks in international law or international human rights law, many have been touched by or affected by English legal systems and the way that English law has developed. And as a result, they're all connected in a way. What we're trying to show is that it, we're trying to show that there are similarities and there are differences, but also, you know, per, particularly when I'm thinking about law, or when I'm kind of sharing insights or reflections on the law, I'm looking at the ways that legal systems in former colonies are marked out as different and inferior because of how they don't match what English legal understandings are of a particular area or a particular issue. And also the way, for example, if we look at international law, there's very much this kind of separation between civilized legal systems in the West and those which are in developing countries and are still developing and not yet finished products. And it's very much this false idea that, you know, we need to be thinking about law as something which is a completely finished product in the UK. And it's not so much on the other side of the world, they're still developing. And that's not the case. And I think it's really important for students to have an awareness of the fact that law is always evolving, it's always dynamic, and to really understand what that means. And also how this kind of terminology and how the ways in which legal systems are categorized or characterized creates a sense of superiority on the part of one legal system compared to others. So related to that, Zainab, are students able to criticise or be critical of, uh, of the law and the structures that they are studying as part of their degree in general? Well, they absolutely should be. When we think about critically analysing the law, it is about pointing out the kind of weaknesses and the loopholes and the negative effects that it can have on certain people compared to others. And students are meant to be encouraged to do that from a very kind of early stage and the level of criticality depends on the stage that they're at so in the beginning it's not as though we're going to be able to fully embed the kind of critical race approach from the beginning we need to teach them about what that means first but as time goes on and as they develop further in their thinking and their kind of learning it should be that they are able to see how people are affected differently according to who they are by legal responses and they should feel like they are able to say that. And in fact, there's a really long tradition and history of that kind of critical legal um, approach. For example, this is from a very mainstream feminist perspective. Carol Smart in her book, Feminism and the Power of Law, makes the argument that we actually need to decenter law and we need to stop seeing it as the answer and the solution and actually see that it's more of you know, something that is embedded in problems and causes a lot of problems, rather than thinking that we need to turn to law to fix everything. That's brilliant. Thank you, Zainab.